Hello and welcome back to Recover to Flourish, the podcast that aims to debunk all things eating disorder recovery and bring a bit of light to your eating disorder recovery journey. I'm your host, Keandra. I'm an eating disorder recovery coach and I'm a survivor of an eating disorder. And in this podcast, we delve into the very insights and wisdom I used in my own recovery journey. If you haven't already, I invite you to join our community by hitting that follow button and leaving a rating. Every follow and every rating not only keeps this podcast alive, but it also extends our reach to more listeners worldwide, spreading the invaluable information that I share in this podcast. Your presence here matters and I genuinely appreciate every single one of you listening, so I hope you know that. So whether you're on the path to recovery, supporting someone on their own recovery journey, or just curious about this important topic, you're in the right place. So stay tuned for another empowering episode. Over to the show. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Recovery to Flourish. It's lovely to be here today with you all. I hope you're all doing very well. So I am talking today on a lovely wet Wednesday evening and to be honest I haven't ventured outside of my house today because it has been gloomy but that is British weather for you and if you are in the UK you'll know that Brits love to complain about the weather and I am one of them. So I'm sorry that I've just graced your first minute of the podcast with talks about the weather, but I hope this podcast brings you a lot of information about change and habits. And the reason that I wanted to talk about the weather and staying inside is there was once a time in my own journey towards recovery or during my eating disorder, whereby I forced myself to go out the door no matter the weather, no matter how I felt, etc. And that's because I had habits formed about movement, going outside and the need to be productive. And so today's episode is going to be all about meaningful change, how to initiate it, the role of habits, and to get you out of a rut in your eating disorder recovery journey. I often find people getting so consumed by recovery knowledge and reading all the books, looking at all the videos, all the podcasts, but actually find it hard to make meaningful change in their recovery. So we're going to journey together through the intricacies of change, the science behind it, and the heart of transformation. But before we get started, As always, I just wanted to come on and mention my one-on-one coaching. So if you are interested in making meaningful change and want accountability in your journey, then please do click the application form in the show notes where you can have a free 15-minute discovery call with me about potentially how I could help support you on your path of healing. I will be opening up spots very soon. But on to the episode. And I first want to talk about the brain on change. So change. Why is it so daunting? Especially when we sometimes know change is going to be for the better of us. See, our brain is naturally wired for survival, not for happiness. You know, this means that brains prefer predictability over uncertainty even if the familiar is harmful. We naturally resist change because our 
because change represents uncertainty and uncertainty is threatening and painful for a brain that wants to keep us safe and alive. And although many of today's threats are no longer life or death situations, our brain still protects us as if they were that. And so when we feel uncertain or anxious, our fight or flight mechanisms are mobilized. So resources are diverted from the frontal lobe area, so the front of the brain, which we use for higher level intellectual functioning and become focused instead on survival. So our capacity for rational thought is then diminished. And even when change is a good idea, we still resist it. So our response to change may be summarized as follows. So change is uncertainty, threat response, fight or flight. We have increased anxiety and fear. We have reduced ability to focus and think clearly and then impaired performance and increased emotions. Now, you might be thinking, well, when considering recovery, you know, it doesn't really make much sense why we are scared of the things that actually are going to keep us alive. Now, I will go on to in the in in a bit about habit formation and why habits become hardwired and therefore going against them feels scary. But when we are considering recovery, our brains might perceive it as stepping into an unknown territory, sparking that resistance and therefore limiting change. And it doesn't mean that change is not possible or worthwhile. It just means that it's going to be harder to understand why that happens and how to break through that. So our brains love routine and habits, like I said, and this is incredibly, incredibly prevalent in those with an eating disorder as well. So our routine activities use an area of the brain with a group of neurons in the temporal lobe called the basal ganglia, which plays a significant role in the formation of long-standing habits. Now, I'm sorry if I'm getting all sciencey with you, but I think this is really important to say. So the basal ganglia are activated by familiar and repetitive activity, which no longer have to pay attention. So this area of the brain requires a lot less energy than our memory, um, which we use to pay attention to new information. But this is because brain circuits that have always already been shaped and defined by experience. All activities that are repeated eventually become you know, uh, orchestrated by that basal ganglia, thereby freeing up the prefrontal cortex to focus on new information. So practice and routine therefore becomes hardwired into our brain and any habit, good or bad, is then hard for our brain to override. And although bad habits often linger in the brain, it is possible to replace them over time with good habits that are more powerful. And this is what we think about neural rewiring in recovery. So our brains love efficiency. If it turns repeated actions into habits, you know, those neural pathways that make these actions easier over time. Here's the catch. Breaking these pathways in favor of new ones feels like hacking through a dense forest instead of, you know, going down a well-trodden path. Yet every step in this forest strengthens new, healthier pathways. And I'll come on to that in a bit. So the nature of habits Habits, routines, rituals, these are all of the things that, you know, are the basis of our daily lives, you know, shaping our actions, often without any conscious thought. You often think, you know, maybe that's brushing your teeth of a morning. It might have come so hardwired that you couldn't imagine not to do it. And they can begin, you know, benign, like a cup of coffee, brushing your teeth, or they can be destructive, like the patterns we see in eating disorders. The thing is, where do these habits come from? Are 
Our brains, like I said, are hardwired to seek reward, a hit of dopamine leading us to repeat actions that bring us pleasure or relief. However, not all rewards are beneficial in the long run. Any habit we develop is because our brain is desired to pick up on things that reward and punish us. When your brain recognizes a pattern such as a connection between an action and satisfaction, it files the information away neatly in an area, like I said before, the basal ganglia, and this is where we develop emotions and memories, not where conscious decisions are made. That's what makes habits so blooming hard to break because we barely have, barely aware that we're doing them. And so, like I said, in early mankind, this was beneficial. It's a survival tool. But just like our ancestors, our brains chase that dopamine high. So when a behavior comes along that results in a reward, our brain builds a connection between that behavior and pleasure, and it can be hard to shake. So basically, to summarize, a habit is the linking of cue, action, and reward. And that is how a habit is born. Now, I want to explain why this reward system can be really, can really be that first step in dismantling harmful habits. And also, just to preface that, it might, you know, confuse you why these habits are more strongly formed in those with eating disorders. But studies shown that parts of the brain associated with habit formation actually seem unusually high in people with eating disorders. So the maladaptive eating behaviors characterized by those with an eating disorder, maybe specifically a restrictive eating disorder or others, are consistent with cognitive neuroscience definition of a habit. So dieting behavior often seen in many eating disorders, which commonly begins um, you know, throughout, you know, your life is experienced as rewarding for reasons specific to the individual. But for some, it may be compliments on physical appearance. I know that was the case for me or, you know, adherence to apparently healthy diet, you know, that self-control. For others, it may be a relief or anxiety or an increased sense of accomplishment and uniqueness. And so that reinforcement is sufficiently rewarding to support continuing the dieting behavior or other maladaptive behaviors, which is then repeated multiple times daily, you know, minute by minute, weeks to months, which begins initially as a goal-directed behavior to reinforcement and gradually becomes less dependent on an outcome and increasingly resistant to change. And so reflecting on my own battle with anorexia and compulsive exercise, I can see how certain behaviours became my go-to for coping, for seeking that elusive sense of control. And if you've listened to my previous episodes, I've done one on how control is often the key to an eating disorder. But for me, it was a cycle of a cycle, a habit loop that kept me trapped. I didn't often know what I was doing, I was doing, but I was repeating the same actions day in, day out, expecting different outcomes. But it was only through understanding the roots of these habits that I was able to begin to untangle them. And this is why I think it's so important for us to talk today. Now, I oftentimes see a lot of people get very uncomfortable with the idea of change. Now, you might have heard of the um, five motivational stages of change, and that's by a study done 
by Boston and et al. in 2013 described the five stages of, ch- of motivational change in eating disorders. So there's the pre-contemplation stage. So other people think I have an eating disorder, but I or I don't want change. Then you have contemplation. I realize I have an eating disorder, but I'm not yet ready to change. Then you have preparation. I am planning to take action in, against the eating disorder in the next few months. Then you have action. I have definite actions towards recovery within the last six months and maintenance. I am working to maintain the changes I have made to remain in recovery. And some research suggests that there is a sixth stage known as the recovery stage where one is fully, truly recovered from the eating disorder. But it's important to note that those five stages are what we often see in recovery. Now, what I often see in individuals maybe those who are just coming towards coaching or just, you know, interactions I've had with those on social media, is we can often get caught up in the contemplation stage and the preparation stage. So the planning to take action against the eating disorder. So, you know, actually using information, so all the podcasts, all the books, all of the YouTube videos, all of the information, but don't actually put this into action. So you're stuck in preparation. You know, you're planning to do all these things, but you're not doing them. It's like, oh, I'll do that tomorrow. Or that looks a good idea. I'll do that tomorrow. And this is where the power of action over inaction is so strong. So inaction, you know, passivity and the path of least resistance. These are choices that often feel the easiest in the moment, but lead us further from recovery. It's this common trap, especially when our intellectual understanding of behaviors clashes with our brain's, you know, propensity to stick to the well-trodden path, like I mentioned before. Breaking free of all of those behaviors and habits requires action, so deliberate action. And it often feels, mostly often feels uncomfortable, but it's through these actions that we start to create these new neural pathways, new habits that support our healing and eating disorder recovery. So, you know, a lot of people avoid discomfort in order to you know, feel okay. But by avoiding discomfort, it's incompatible with creating new neural pathways and actually changing because change is scary. Change is uncomfortable, but change leads to growth. So you might say, Kiandra, how do we even go from that insight, all that knowledge to action? I think firstly, it is acknowledging that discomfort. Like I said, change is uncomfortable, but discomfort is not dangerous. You know, like I said before, we are, you know, the threat is not real reality. It's not, we're not going to get eaten by a bear. It might feel so uncomfortable that it feels like a life or death situation, but really that discomfort is not dangerous. Secondly, I want you to identify small actionable steps you can take today, right now, that align with your recovery. So take a moment, write down a couple of things that you can do today, right now, in that moment that align with your recovery. You know, it doesn't need to be massive, but it could be reaching out to somebody for support, a coach, a therapist, a dietitian, your your parents, a friend. It could be setting a meal plan with a dietitian or simply allowing yourself to feel your emotions without judgment. Each action, no matter how small, is a step away from the old towards 
the new healthy recovery behaviors. So once you've got that, it's about cultivating those habits. So we need to not just do change once, we need to change multiple times a day, multiple times a minute, always choosing the path of recovery. This is the thing, recovery doesn't really get easier, so to speak, especially when we're changing multiple things a day, but it's a choice we make multiple times a day until we don't need to make that choice anymore. And that is about habits and creating new healthy habits. You know, habits are water, you know, if you think about our mind like a garden, our mind is that garden and habits are the seeds we water daily. You know, some grow into beautiful flowers, like I said, and others weeds that choke our life. So in recovery, we're essentially gardening and cultivating healthy habits while uprooting all of those horrible habits that harm us. So the first steps you can take is firstly acknowledging that we need to change. And that's where the journey begins. Like I said, the cycle of change. And in that moment, that's a very brave, brave step. That's where we face the fears, the pain and the self-doubt that have fueled our eating disorder. If I reflect on my path, the moment I decided to, you know, embark on real recovery was pivotal. I was taking charge, not somebody else. Somebody else wasn't doing it for me. I always relied on others and I thought it was easier. But when I started to make change and I started to, you know, actually realize that, okay, something's not right here. It was so terrifying, but liberating because I was taking the reins of my own recovery journey. And that is inspiring. And by sharing this, I hope to spark a light in you to see the moment not as an end, but as a beautiful beginning. Just because you're aware of something doesn't mean it's bad. It means you have those insights that could be transformed into actions. So knowing what needs to change is one thing, but implementing it is another. And so recovery is not passive, it's active and dynamic. You get practical with the daily actions that support your recovery every day. So from mechanical eating plans, like I said in previous episode about mechanical eating, that is basically habit formation and ensuring that you get uh, adequate nutrition. Also doing things like mindfulness practices, journaling, establishing support networks, regularly challenging fear foods. These daily actions build the foundation of sustained change. So it doesn't need to be changed anymore. It's just normal behavior. And this is where the power of discomfort comes in. So growth lies in discomfort. Like I said, it's a hard truth, but a very liberating one once you fully embrace that. So recovery is going to challenge you, challenge you harder than you probably ever have been challenged before and pushing you beyond your own perceived limits. But that's where you lean into the discomfort of change, using it as ammunition for transformation rather than a barrier. Building resilience here is key. It's about bouncing back stronger after setbacks because they are going to happen. And like I said in a previous episode about setbacks, learning from each of those setbacks will help, you know, drive you forward. And you think around, you know, developing resilience is includes self-compassion, reaching out for support and celebrating all those small wins. Even bouncing back from setback is insanely important. And this is the thing as well. No one recovers in full isolation. You need to build upon the role of your family, your friends, therapists, coaches like myself, support groups, positive social media communities. I have 
two sides of me about social media and the recovery space. I think sometimes it can be really, really positive. And I hope my community, Flourish with Keandra, is a very positive space for us all. But there is some triggering stuff out there. So be careful with with that social media community. But community does provide strength and perspective needed to navigate recovery. It's a, you know, stories of hope and, you know, how community can lift you up during your darkest moments. It's been incredibly important for my own journey of leaning on my real support network. And I know it will do the same for you. So don't feel like you need to make all of these changes on your own. Accountability is key. And that's why coaching is very beneficial for those in recovery, because it's actionable steps moving you towards a new narrative. And recovery is all about rewriting your story. It's about moving from a narrative of struggle to one of strength and hope. And I want you to visualize yourself beyond the eating disorder, beyond where these maladaptive habits are all you know. Visualize a future filled with all of those possibilities, all of those healthy habits. Give yourself grace during this time. It's understanding that recovery, like growth, takes time. Use this time to nurture yourself. So like I said, regular check-ins, mindfulness, journaling, you know, understanding that change does not happen overnight, but being kind to yourself throughout the change. Using all of the things you've learned, such as self-care, realizing that habits and are, are things that you have power to change and being kind to yourself. And I know you're going to be fearful in this and this fear is what's going to move you forwards. And whether it's a fear of change, fear of failure, fear of facing deep-seated emotions and pain, be careful with your mind, lean on your support network, you know, whether that means that you're gradually exposing yourself to feared situations and habits through exposure therapy concepts or using cognitive behavioral techniques, you know, identifying and challenging fear-based thoughts that hinder your recovery and then impact your behavior. The list is endless and it's about understanding what works for you. With all of that being said, I just want to encourage you to be persistent and not give up. You know, motivation is going to dip throughout this journey and that's where commitment really takes hold and moves you forward towards a life without an eating disorder. It's kind of saying that all of the new healthy habits you do, those non-negotiables are non-negotiables. They're things that you do every single day. And recovery is not a destination, but a lifelong journey in many different respects. There will be a period of your your life where you're focusing on your eating disorder recovery, but recovery and enlightenment, if we so, so to speak, is a lifelong journey. We're continuously understanding our health, choosing, you know, our well-being and self-love and not letting maladaptive coping mechanisms and habits come back into our lives. We're all creatures um, that are continually growing. We're going towards a place where we're continually learning and celebrating life. I want you to stay curious and open to learning about yourself and learning about habits, learning what habits you have, and be open towards challenging them. You know, recovery opens up a world of possibilities. So I want you to embrace everything with an open heart and mind. You have the power to change. Our minds are so powerful. You have the power to change your thoughts. You have the power to change your actions, but don't fear 
taking action because you fear the emotional consequence. That will leave you stuck and leave you in this half-life that is an eating disorder. So with all that being said, that brings us to the close of another episode of Recover to Flourish. And I can't thank you enough for sharing this space and time with me today. If this episode resonated with you or offered you a new perspective, I'd be so grateful if you could follow me uh, on your preferred podcast platform and leave me a review. Your feedback not only supports the show, but it also helps others find us and perhaps find a little hope and understanding in their own sort of recovery journey. And if you've been listening along and feel moved to share your thoughts or how this episode has touched you, please don't hesitate to tag me on Instagram either at flourish with Kiandra or at recover to flourish underscore pod. I love seeing your insights, your stories and the beautiful ways you're all flourishing. Your journey, your recovery, your growth is all incredibly inspiring to me and I feel so honored to be part of it, even if just through headphones. So until next time, my loves, remember you're not alone on this path. Keep taking those steps towards healing and I'll be right there cheering you on every step of the way. So take care, stay strong and let's continue to flourish together. See you soon.